G'day and welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast and a special episode today, a bit more specific. You know, we've done a lot of NBA general stuff over the last couple of weeks with All-Star and then the trade deadline, but a big few days in Brooklyn. And to join me today, I've got from the Brooklyn Buzz, Jack Manuel. If you listen to the uh, NBA previews, he was there for the Nets preview. Mate, how are you? I'm good, mate. I've just recorded another Brooklyn Buzz. There's been about three or four that we've recorded over the space of 72 hours. There's a lot of Nets talk and I'm enjoying the Nets chatter and even better, I get to chat to an Aussie about it. It's always fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Nets have never been short of content over the last few years, but this this has got to be like one of the, the peaks of, I guess, just the, the volume of what you've got, like the material. It's insane. Like I've been on the spaces, I've been podcasting, Keith McPherson, who is an absolute legend, shouted me out on his uh, radio station, W Fan in New York Radio. There's been a, a lot happening in Nets world. <laughs> I guess we better start just by quickly, you know, recapping the actual trade and then we'll get into some more detailed, you know, to and fro about it. The trade, it, both the best and worst kept secret in the NBA over the last few months, you know, it especially in the last couple of weeks, it became a matter of when, not if. But, you know, Brooklyn finally offloads James Harden to Philadelphia along with Paul Millsap and they get a depoy candidate back in Ben Simmons along with Seth Curry, Andre Drummond and a few, a couple of first rounders. Just before we get into the nitty gritty of it all, when that came through, what was your initial reaction? Not surprised, but also like, holy crap. Like I was up at like, 3 4 a.m scrolling twitter because i knew it was happening I, it was a matter of like you mentioned when not if so yeah. i thought i was like all right cool decent deal from sean marks a little bit annoyed we didn't get matisse a little bit annoyed we didn't get maxi but the firsts you know were uh, are solid enough but we didn't end up using them as well so it, it was it was mixed i was happy to offload james harden given everything that how he's been acting of late um, and now I'm, I'm suddenly a ben simmons stand despite the plan <laughs> thrown at him probably the past 12 to 18 months as well all in on uh on N10. yeah <laughs> yeah i did say that that was a bit of an interesting number who's 25 retired for i can't remember who it was retired for but i know it's not it... that is a good question that is before brooklyn buzz times i will look it up while you're given your spiel <laughs> well obviously like you mentioned you know ben simmons has had a let's say an up and down last 12 to 18 months and I just wanted to quickly touch on the off-court stuff before we started, not to play, I guess, internet psychologist or anything like that, because in reality, we have no idea what's going on. And I, I expect, you know, this sort of reaction from Insula and local, like Philly media, it's just the nature of being a fan. Uh, but there's been a lot of vitriol around Simmons in the last couple of days. You know, Simmons the person, not the basketball player, which has kind of been the norm. It's been distasteful to say the least um mate I, I i don't understand where i understand why because it's philly sports fans and you know they're a, a, as intense a bunch as it comes you know they make the the balmy army look like you know, a <laughs> casual you know sports fan um, so i i understand hating on a basketball hating on an athlete and, and hating on that like i've just thrown plenty at, at james harden and other brooklyn Mets players as well as general nba players i was calling Kyle Larry a fat ass during this game. <laughs> I want out Jimmy Butler and, and all, all those different little things. But to attack a person's character, you know, I'm, the dehumanization of athletes is something that really irks me. And it's just like, we, you have no right to pry into the level of 
dehumanization that's been going on in terms of his mental health and which is i think somewhat basketball related and somewhat you know related to a lot of family circumstances that are way too complicated and nuanced for us to discuss and it's just like <laughs> let's just chill like this this is the reason why a lot more people don't have the courage to come out and communicate about their mental health trials and tribulations cj mccollum kevin love Paul George, so many others have done an amazing job. Ben Simmons now as well. And for people to react the way that they have, I understand the I understand the skepticism. I was, you know, that at the start until, you know, I became more learned of the situation. And I was just like, okay, let's chill. Everyone's gone through their sort of thing. There's no right for me to judge about it. And there's no right for Philly fans to judge either. Attack mm. the player, attack the three-pointers, attack all that bullshit. Don't attack the person that he is. Yeah, like that's well said. And, you know, if it comes out later down the line that this was a big scam, then, oh, I'll, I'll be the first one on the case. Um, it, it's more, I think, just the initial, like, we, we don't know. We have no idea what's what's going on. Um, you know, as I've said, and I think a lot of people realise, you know, because optically it does look odd that, you know, once Simmons is gone to the Nets, he's all of a sudden better but at the same time you know the whole environment impacts mental health and all that sort of stuff you know you think of people even friends of yours that have been unhappy and they've left their job and all of a sudden you know they're fine again it's it's just the same thing played out on a national scale um i don't want to get too into it because i mean i'm not very smart and i'm definitely not learned enough in this space to make any sort of judgments i don't have a a psych degree i've got mates that do and i'm not going to ask them about it because i don't need the 45 minute psychoanalysis of all of that stuff um I was just disappointed in some of the the, the national the, the bigger pro the Nate bigger Duncan profiles. Your Benny boy, Nate <laughs> Duncan, going right in on you. Oh, yeah. Well, you know that's with with my uh, stature in the. I, I did appreciate being called a fellow media member. That was nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, a real that's a deep cut, um, <laughs> real backhander. But let's move on from all that because it, it's it's not really our space to talk about. But the actual trade. Getting Simmons for Philly's side, obviously re- replacing a player that's not playing with an MVP level, that's fine. That's great. But from Brooklyn's side, uh, ignoring Simmons for a moment, the rumors were that Maury didn't want to part with Maxi or Thibault. And for me as a neutral in this, I kind of thought, I'm a fan of both of them, but it's kind of that thing where they're role players. Let's be honest. They're both role players. And you see it all the time where fans overvalue their role players to the point that, you know, the Boston fans were famous for it, you know, when they did like trading, when Harden was still in Houston or when they were trying to get Anthony Davis from New Orleans and they go, oh, we would never throw in Terry Rozier or Grant Williams or something like that. And it's kind of the point where you laugh and go, oh yeah, of course you wouldn't throw in a role player for an MVP level guy. Um, but yeah, you mentioned you were disappointed that I thought at least one of them would be included. Um, so I was a bit surprised that neither one of them were. I think the the notion of the two first rounders, I think that that was basically the value of a Matisse Thibel, a Tyrese Maxey. I think if the Nets were to require uh, Matisse Thibel, he'd be a better fit. He wouldn't be as good a fit as he is in Philadelphia right now because of the responsibility that is on him there to be a defensive anchor and a defensive dynamo that he is. We've got Ben Simmons. You could, I don't think he would have the same level of production on that end of the floor in Brooklyn, seeing as the best version of the Brooklyn Nets is a lot of spacing and, and Matisse hasn't you know really improved there to, to a great extent, despite the fact that Joel Embiid thinks he has. Tyrese Maxey, on the other hand, uh, I think 
so many fans and be included wanted him because under the tutelage of Kyrie Irving and a backcourt where you just get another ball hand up. And I think Seth Curry gives you a little bit of that, but I think a lot of people like me are like, well, we can bridge the gap between the the future with Tyrese Maxey and Ben Simmons while also having Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and that sort of balance there. And I think the upside of Tyrese Maxey is you know, near-ish all-star when, when he is at his best. You know, he's a, a pretty goddamn talented, you know, pl- player when it comes to creating for himself, a decent enough defender, pesky enough defender there. But ultimately, I think the first round is good enough. I'm a bit frustrated that Sean Marks didn't use them. But if the right package wasn't there, you know, Detroit was asking for a little bit more for Jeremy Grant. You might know. I'm, I wish that Sean Marks had put two in there, throw in Joe Harris, throw in Nicholas Claxton, whoever it might be, because... I think Jeremy Grant would be a pretty perfect fit on this team, but maybe that's available in the offseason. Who knows? Well, Grant wanted to be the guy, and he's not going to be the guy anywhere outside of Detroit, which I think only he like doesn't see that. Um, yeah, the, the asking price was two firsts or you know, first young guy. I don't know if the Nets really were even in that. Um, that wasn't reported. Um, on Maxi, I think it's an interesting one because, yes, he's proven himself to be a valuable contributor now, at his age, but at the same time on Philadelphia's side, you know, it's kind of a guessing game, but is this it? And if you can leverage him to get hard and like, do you, how much better do you think Maxie's going to be? But I agree, like on a Brooklyn side, you add that secondary ball handler to Kyrie Irving. It just gives you another head of the snake, really. Like Seth is good, but he's not that level of playing. Like he's a much better shooter, no doubt, even though he's had a bit of a rough go of it of late. Um, and I think maybe in this win now window with the way the team is built, you are going to prioritize that level of shooting, which Maxi can do, but not to the level that Seth can. Um, but how important do you think Seth's going to be straight away? Because if he can rediscover that shooting form, you know, the ben- the, the Nets bench has been, and even the, the starters, um, it, it hasn't been the deepest unit lately, but Seth's going to help that. Oh, he could start for the Nets straight away, mate. Like, there's no doubt about that. Obviously, I think he's had a, f- a few niggling injuries here or there. So it was annoying that he couldn't sit up for us tonight, given the fact that the trade wasn't finalized until like 10 minutes into the first quarter. James Harden throwing a little bit of a middle finger on the way out. Daryl Morey doing the same, which was frustrating because him and Andre John were both with the team um, and they both seemed to be motivated. Seth Curry was up and about, you know, on some big plays, you know, cheering and all that sort of thing. But in terms of his fit, Imagine Seth, if obviously with Joe Harris absent, Joe Harris's absence, you have Seth Curry as a ready-made replacement. Both of those guys are two of the five best active three-point shooters in the league right now. And Seth Curry is one of the best in the playoffs as well. So I think in the postseason, he could continue to be a, an important presence and you throw him alongside Patty Mills. Yeah, the defense is going to be suspect, but the best version of the Nets, despite what Steve Nash might say, is an offensive juggernaut. That's when the Nets are going to look amazing, have incredible spacing to allow Ben Simmons to drive, to give Katie and Kyrie different openings uh, around the mid-range as well as around the basket. So Seth Curry's three-point shooting is going to give the Nets a much-needed boost because with Joe Harris, I think they're like third or fourth. Since he's been gone, the Nets have been like 23rd or 24th, somewhere in like the bottom five to 10 range. You add Seth Curry, who is one of the best three-point shooters in the league right now. And is also probably a better self-creator around the mid-range as well. Um, I think he's a much more exploitable defender than Joe Harris can be. But Seth Curry is going to be fit into Brooklyn seamlessly. Yeah, I say to he's having a down year shooting from three. It is his worst percentage, but it's 40%. So for for a season, if if down year is 40%, then Jesus, like, you know, on nearly six attempts a game. I think what's going to help Seth as well is obviously with the gravity that a lot of the other guys on the team provide, 
you know, he's probably going to be the afterthought in a lot of scouts just because of the level of talent. And it was a similar situation in Philadelphia with Embiid and Harris and what Maxi ended up becoming as well. But you have defenders flying out or even doubling off Seth, which I don't think they would do. But, you know, the attention is straight away on KD and, and Kyrie when he plays and, you know, whatever happens with Simmons. But, you know, Seth becoming the fourth or fifth guy on, a, on an offense, it, it's pretty damn elite. It's going to be and, – and spacing is just so important to what the Nets do. You know, transition threes, open threes, Kyrie Irving driving and kicking, Ben Simmons driving and kicking to, to Seth Curry. When those two were on the floor, I was just doing some research last night, just, you know, obviously just thinking about what this team could look like. The Sixers had a 118.6 offensive rating when those two shared the floor. I think it was something like 16, 100 minutes or so uh, in their time together. And it was, and I, I can imagine, you know, that that synergy is not going to go away anytime soon. Kyrie Irving's, you know, willing to defer and, and to kick out to, to shooters as well. He's much more deferential than you know james harden generally is just by the nature of their game so the spacing you know when you have a lineup of kyrie irving seth curry joe harris kevin durant and you throw a ben simmons or you can even throw like a kessler edwards or lamarcus aldridge who is a decent enough spacer as well you can go five out if you have lamarcus in those lineups or go at least four out if you throw claxton or whoever else it might be at the five yeah i'm just looking at the box score from the nets game today against the heat um that's quite a starting lineup there. You know, Bruce Brown, Kessler Edwards, Blake Griffin, along with Mills and Irving. Um, Harris, is Harris out for the year or is he expected back late in the playoffs? Steve Nash was asked about it today, our time, and there's been rumors about him needing a second surgery. And I, yeah. I would think that the it can go two ways. He gets a second surgery and he's out for an extended period, if not the season, or he chooses to forego the surgery till the end of the season try and come back, play through a little bit of pain, get, get some jabs here and there and see what he can do come the playoffs. Because, you know, my one of the co-hosts, you know, Justin Thomas was sort of saying, Joe Harris just standing out there on the perimeter is going to be value, more valuable than what Bruce Brown, James Johnson and so many other guys have given us already. So you can just have Joe Harris, stick him in a corner, just shoot three balls and we're going to be a, a better offensive lineup than having some of the role players, obviously cutting DeAndre Bembry, which was, a, a bit of a surprising and frustrating move, but yeah, it's it's frustrating because Joe should be back by now, and we didn't get an update today either. You know, his agent came out. You know, I think it was a, a week or ten days ago, saying he might need a second surgery. We still don't know if he's going to have that second surgery because the Nets seem to keep things very close to their chest when it comes to medical updates. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to have any Bruce Brown slander on this show, just just quietly. Um, Cam Thomas is another one. and He played big minutes today. I know you're a big fan of Cam Thomas. Where does he fit in this shuffle? He's been incredible of late. I think in the last four games, he's got like 23 points on over 50% shooting, around 35 to 37% from three. He's found a groove. And when he plays alongside Kyrie Irving, in comparison to when he's been in lines with James Harden, there's a natural synergy there. You know, Cam is just an amazing self-creator. He's a three-level score already. One of the best scorers in this draft. Today, he had a step-back three against the Heat on PJ Tucker that I'm just like, what, like, 20-year-old has that in their bag? 
his bag is so incredible and deep and he's learning to do a little more of the little things, making the right decisions, um, passing the ball, not getting you know too ball hoggy, um, but he's, his floater is, is gorgeous. It's better than Bruce Brown's this season, unfortunately, my friend. Um, and he's a, a great mid range shooter <laughs> as well. So, the fact that the three ball starting to come along is is probably the the main thing why he's probably producing at a high enough level, uh, and I think Steve Nash needs to start you know relying on him a little bit more um, because he's been in the absence of so many ball handlers and and shot creators. Cam Thomas as a rookie has been incredible the last four or five games. Yeah, I'm seeing he had four assists today. Um, I don't know what he averages for the season, but yeah, that that's got to be a nice development considering you know all the cattle you've got out. Um, I completely. Forgot to ask as well when I was asking about Harris, but what's KD's timeline? He spoke today as well. He was sort of saying he's feeling the ramp up. He's a couple of weeks away. I would assume just after the All-Star break would be my guess. Um, you know, he gave more to the Nets media than he gave to the TNT crew when he was asked about you know, an injury update. Uh, Kevin Durant, blank-faced, stoic Kevin Durant is my favorite human being on this earth. Uh, but yeah, he gave a little bit of an update. He said he's a couple of weeks away. I'm assuming he's doing a little bit of running here and there. Don't know if he's done any five on five or three on three drills. But once you see probably, you know, the five on five happening, Katie's going to be back sooner rather than later. Uh, that's that's a good segue then. Because um, I was going to ask about Harden, but I'll quickly touch on this and the, the, um, the all-star draft and the little moment where, you know, Kevin Durant's pondering that last pick between Harden and Gobert and then LeBron just starts laughing. Um <laughs> A real, you know, cathartic way to end the James Harden tenure. I don't know how he kept a straight face through it all. And like, he was just like, yeah, I think I'll need a little bit of size, you know, to counter, you know, Giannis and, and all. And I'm just like, dude, you can't say like, his reasoning was hilarious. And then like Kenny going back and forth, he's like, yeah, I understand. Yeah, great pick, great pick. And like Charles and they were just sort of like feeding him. I don't know why LeBron had a clipboard for. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and we need LeBron and KD for, for many years to come. They are absolute icons. And he did a break, you know, at, at one point when Charles Barkley was like, yeah, he's coming back. You know, he's in a new team now. He's healthy. He's traded, fine. yeah. <laughs> Quote-unquote injuries. We'll, we'll see how how long the, the hamstring and hand issues are going to you know, uh, hamper him, you know, in, in Philadelphia. But Kevin Durant's an icon. I love everything about him. And his, his personality has shone a, a little bit more since he's come to Brooklyn as well. That's sort of villainy sort of just like introverted sort of just stoic sort of dry humor sort of stuff and uh, he's a goddamn legend I, I love him so much yeah KD is not one of the ones you think about off the top of your head when you think of like entertainers and personality wise off the court you know you know LeBron's got pretty good comedic timing and then off the, like you know the Lopez twins are kind of known for that as well but then you know the way that KD acts on social media he's kind of sh- like shoved all the like traditional athlete like oh sponsored messages and our oh, game day let's go and he's just like calling people losers and nerds and dweebs and you know saying watch the game. like he's just being like a college kid but he's 32 years old he's like the second best the best basketball player in the world pretty much so you know i think he's definitely underrated as an entertainer king shit mate absolute king shit and i think that he's just sort of thrown to the side was like i just don't care like yeah. this thing like the whole Stephen a you know little funeral thing his mum like you know responds to him uh, in the video clip on twitter and Stephen and a is just like i mean like i'm sorry was like, <laughs> and i was just like one i love who doesn't love mama wanda duran she's she's an absolute legend as well the real mvp but yeah, yeah kevin durant is the you know appreciate the the the, the the icons while they're here, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, all these sort of guys, give them their flowers. 
Um, like I said, it was a segue, and I guess we should touch on Harden's tenure in Brooklyn. I think I read this right, but there was only 16 games where the, the big three were together, uh, 13 and three. So they were winning games, but there was always questions. And it was like on the outside looking at it as a neutral and somebody who doesn't watch every Nets game, it was always a bit of a, a fun experiment to see how those three guys would fit together. But obviously you watch them every day. Like what, what was the, the main problem with that big three? I guess Harden's fit with the other two. It's just simply availability because when they were together, they were insane. You know, 13-3, they had a 129 offensive rating in those minutes. They only played 365 minutes together, which is just unheard of. You know, the most recent, you know, memory of that is against the Chicago Bulls, who were the fit and firing the form team in the NBA, and they destroyed them. The, the Boston Celtics series last year was just dominance on another level that I hadn't seen from the basketball team since, you know, Golden State and, and, and their, you know, iconic run. So there is going to be big what-ifs about this. You know, where James Harden is, you know, his absence and, and him sort of shipping out and, and the reason why, like why he couldn't have just waited a couple of weeks for Kevin Durant to come back, why he couldn't have been a bit more patient with Kyrie Irving. Yes, Kyrie Irving's vaccination status, I understand all of those sort of things, but it's going to be, and, and, and James Harden last year was playing M, MVP level basketball until he tore his hamstring as well. He was in the, the conversation alongside Jokic, LeBron, when when those guys were, were fit and firing as well. So, it's disappointing. I think it's just going to be a massive what if. What if, you know, Kyrie Irving isn't injured, you know, by, by Giannis in, in that rebound? What if James Harden doesn't injure his hamstring and has some greater conditioning? What if Kevin Durant's shoe is a, a, a size smaller? There's so many different scenarios that play in mine and Nets fans and, and probably general NBA people's head as well because this could have been something iconic. And I still have said this, that the best version of the Brooklyn Nets probably still would have been with James Harden. But fit-wise, you know, there's a lot of gaps that the Nets do have and Ben Simmons can, you know, alleviate some of those. But if we see at least a... a he, James Harden's still an all-NBA caliber player. He's a top 15-ish, top 10-ish level player. Hasn't been playing like that this year. And I don't think long-term he would be a, an amazing fit in terms of the contract and all those things and whatever. But for this year, if we, if James Harden had have stayed in Brooklyn, I think the Nets would have had a, a much better shot at winning it all. Is there any saltiness from fans that, like, considering how it's ended, that Harden cost, you know, Jared Allen, how he's played this year, Karis LeVert, maybe not as big a loss, but, you know, just fans are fans. And I've seen a bit of like, I oh, just never forget that James Harden and all this silliness cost us, you know, fringe all-star Jared Allen. I mean, I've been salty about James Harden for many a reason. And and look, Jane, Jared Allen and Karis Avert and Rodion Skouritz, no, maybe not Rodion Skouritz, uh, but those two especially have a, a special place in my heart. You know, the Cavs, I've always just loved Karis. I've always loved Jared just because of what they've done for, for the franchise and how they handled themselves on the way out in comparison to James Harden, who basically was just like, no, nah, I don't want to be here anymore. And I'll just, you know, sh not tell anyone, not show up to games, hang out at strip clubs, do all these different things and just, you know, not give any level of effort in. And it's just, it's in stark contrast to Kevin Durant and what he's done for the team. I'm going to play 40 minutes. I'm going to die out there. Let me die out there. I'll play with David Duke Jr., Patty Mills, Blake Griffin, Kessler Edwards, Dayron Sharp. And I'm still going to get us the win over the Philadelphia 76ers and so many other teams and the Toronto Raptors. It's just the way I, I understand the whole tenure and there's, there's nuance to it. But as a fan in general, James Harden's exit is pretty goddamn awful the way that he handled it. And I'll, I stand by that, despite the fact that I've had about 
40 million mentions from, from Sixers fans the last 12 to 24 hours. <laughs> it's, it's probably not quite as acrimonious as um, Eric Bledsoe's exit from Phoenix. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Harden can claim he was in a salon. I don't know. Um, ben Simmons' role in Brooklyn, I think, does, does he play the five at all? Because I know that was one of the things that, that they tried with Philadelphia last year and it, and you know there was some mixed results there but considering who the nets have got you know the, the depth at guard you know center's been a little bit of a soft spot for the nets and obviously they get drummond as well and claxton's developing but but do you see a situation where simmons does play five i think the best version of the nets is with ben simmons at the five and kevin Durant at the four those two as weak side helpers and switching is just incredible. Ben Simmons is one of the best defensive players in the league. And there's no doubt about that. I value what he does on the defensive side of the floor to a greater extent to what Rudy Gobert does. You know, I said on the buzz that, you know, when you're coming down to playoff basketball and you've got one possession and, and you can want to put, are you going to put Rudy Gobert on LeBron James or on Stephen Curry or whatever? No, but you can do that with Ben Simmons. And that's when you know, the games do matter. Obviously the offensive side of the floor, that's an, another question, but he's a, a great rebounder. He's obviously not – he's a great weak side helper. He's an incredibly intelligent defender. I think the Nets will will play him a lot at the five, um, and I think that he'll have some success there. But I think that they'll also be – coddle him in a little bit in terms of, you know, how he comes back and, and try and acclimate him in a way that is, you know, suiting his, his best benefits as well. So I think that the Nets could look incredible with Ben Simmons at the five. How, uh, but I also do think that he'll look decent enough alongside of LaMarcus Aldridge, maybe a Nick Claxton, because if you've got a 3 4 5 a KD, you know, at Simmons and, and Clax, while those two aren't the greatest spaces, you can make up for it with Seth Curry and Kyrie Irving, Patty Mills and Kyrie Irving. Uh, I, there's some defensive options that the Nets have never had. And Ben Simmons by himself can make you a quality defensive unit in a similar way that Gobert, Draymond Green, these sort of teams do. Do you anticipate then that? maybe there's a situation where Simmons starts the game is the starting center, but they're not like he's one of the early subs and comes back and runs the bench unit. Yeah. Look, I, I think that the Steve Nash has, has shown in the past that he loves to stagger and he's the, the staggering that he's done in the past has been James Harden with the bench unit, Kyrie KD together a lot of the time. Does he change that? I think that the Steve Nash is going to have uh, some, some work to do in, in terms of how he figures it out. If, you got Paddy Mills, who's relegated to a bench role, which is what he should be, and you and you have Seth, you know, instead with the starters. Then you've got two guys that I think are going to have amazing chemistry, given everything that Paddy Mills has been saying about Ben Simmons, while also you know just dribble handoffs. And I think both of them are just incredible. It could be an incredible basketball fit. You might have a Cam Thomas out there as well to have some secondary ball handling. You know, Kessler Edwards. You probably don't play him with the Bruce Brown. You, you might have a Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, you might have a Blake Griffin because both of those guys are smart enough players. But uh, I, I think that there is, because of, I, I think it was KD that sort of said this, you know, um, about versatility. Ben Simmons as a player gives you a lot of versatility. You know, can he play the one? Can he play the four? Can he play the five? He can do all those things. It's going to be about utilizing it and figuring out, you know, what's the opponent doing? How can he impact us? How can we utilize his, his skills the best? I think his basketball fit in Brooklyn is going to be better than what it was in Philadelphia. And he was incredible in Philadelphia, you know, despite the, the playoff woes and such. His regular season play and some of the postseasons that he did play was incredible. And he's got talent coming out of every orifice, but he's going to be in a situation now which I think can utilize him in a pretty specific way. 
Yeah, you mentioned Patty Mills and all that chemistry, and it was, I think, an aspect of the trade that perhaps wasn't picked up straight away. Um, it was the impact of having, you know, the Australian of the Year alongside him. You know, obviously someone who's known Ben for for a while now. I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and I've been cautioning people not to be excited that this will make him play for the Boomers because you know we've been hurt before. But the, the impact of Paddy Mills can't be understated for Ben Simmons, the, the person and the player, I think, you know, getting him back to what he was. I think Paddy Mills' impact on the Brooklyn Nets this season as a person, as a culture setter, has been insane. He has been a, a locker room and leadership presence that I didn't even imagine. You know, I, we're both you know, massive Paddy Mills stands and we know what he's done for, for the basketball in Australia and, and just the country in general. So I think that Ben Simmons is in a situation now which is going to not only a basketball situation, but in a locker room, coaching staff, teammates that are going to impact him in such a positive fashion that he's going to be cared for. He's going to have great teammates. The, the personality of the team as well, lead, led by Kevin Durant. You know, Ben Simmons is going to have a similar sort of vibe, sort of like introverted, a little bit stoic, a little bit under uh, low-key, go out there, do my work. Whereas Joel Embiid's a little bit more bombastic in that sort of sense. Whereas I think he's already spoken to KD. Paddy Mills was saying, you know, I've been wanting to to play with him and and, and be under him and, and and play alongside him, you know, since he was 16 years old. And now I've finally got him along alongside him. You know, it's going to be amazing, and I'm going to care for him, and it's going to be amazing as a situation beyond basketball. Yeah. Um, back on the center chat as well um we've spoken about seth but the other guy you got in the trade andre drummond i think the the rehabilitation of his image that he's done in philadelphia this year considering how it ended in detroit and then you know how it happened in cleveland and he did a, it was all right in la um but yeah andre drummond has turned himself into one of the best backup centers in the league um how important do you think he's going to be? Because we mentioned, you know, Simmons could be the starting center. You could start Drummond at the center, at least straight away, just while everything works itself out. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's probably one of the most underrated aspects of this deal, just getting him in there as well. There's a reason why I think he was included in the package. You know, I think Sean Marks genuinely wanted him. Yes, the Nets do have LaMarcus Aldridge, they do have Darren Sharp, they do have Nicholas Claxton, they do have Blake Griffin, who are all bigs. But you can make a, a credible argument that Andre Drummond is the best out of all of those in terms of his rebounding. He's one of the best rebounders you know, in the modern era. He's probably the best rim protector out of those guys as well. Uh, he's got you know, a decent enough you know, passing game. You know, he can do a little bit in the post here and there. And I think you know, with the... Maybe not you know, here. <laughs> occasionally. Let, let's, just, let's just say it's probably better than you know, what Daron Sharp is. It's probably, it's probably better post moves when it costs you $2 million and not $30 million, like exactly and, and that and that's exactly my point like you alluded you've seen a, a lot more of him and probably know a lot more than, than i do but he's immediately going to provide a need that the nets like he's going to provide a, a skill set the nets do need rebounding a semblance of rim protection a big enough bloke to just be there as a presence Darren sharps you know still he had an incredible game today against the miami heat and matching up with bam Adebayo really held his own but he's still growing as a player and i think he's andre drummond is going to be a nice mentor for him because I think they have similar sort of skill sets in a lot of ways. I think Andre Drummond has a nice passer as well. And I think because you know you have him and Seth Curry, you, know, you bring a little bit of chemistry from the former team together. 
I think that Andre Drummond is going to impact the Nets in a pretty positive fashion. The Nets were after him you know, last year before the Lakers did get him as well. So I think that he could start, he could come off the bench. And I think that because of, in a similar way to what Dwight Howard has done you know, in the past couple of seasons, he's sort of gone, all right, I can just do my role and I'll, and I'll figure it out. Um, and that's a kudos to him. Um, but you might, what do you see his fit as in Brooklyn? Do you think that he could actually provide a need for the Brooklyn Nets? Or is it sort of, he's a backup big, that's what he can do. He's a glorified Enos Cantor. Oh, oh, how dare you? I would never say that. No, I'm not that low on Drummond. Go on. Um, no, no, I think he's he's definitely, he's had a great year in Philly. And I think now that he's accepted, I think he's matured a lot the last year or so. Because I, when he left, well, even when he was still in Detroit and in Cleveland, he and part of that is the contract, but you have that opinion of themselves that you have to be the guy when you're living up to that deal. But now that he's, you know, he's a minimum guy now or an exception guy, whatever he's on, um, you bring him into Philadelphia. You mentioned his passing game. I think that's probably the most underrated part of Drummond's skill set. Everyone knows he's a great rebounder. And I just wonder how much of the offensive rebounds he got was from playing on a terrible Detroit team that missed a lot of shots. But his passing game, they they tried, but they played through him at the, the high post and low post, maybe to a fault. Um, and part of that was the talent around him. But he, he's definitely got an eye for a pass. He tries... He's willing parsley, maybe tries for the fancy one a bit too much. But I think on bench units with shooters and cutters, obviously, if you're starting him, he's going to be a rim runner. And that's pretty much it. That's all you need from him on this Nets team. But coming off the bench with, you know, Seth Curry or Cam Thomas or whoever it is that's running the show, um, he's a good pick and roll roll man, offensive rebounder. But yeah, he's an excellent passing big, which I think gets lost because you just see Drummond and you go, oh, big man runs and jumps. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not out on him. I think. Like I said, he's rehabilitated his image to the point where he's probably got more respect back around the league than he did, you know, over the last couple of years. And I think being on that national stage with Philadelphia has helped him to do that. Um, but I, I don't think, like, Brooklyn to me now have got good situational bigs with Aldridge, with Claxton, with Drummond. It's kind of a mix and match. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think Drummond has the best of both. You know, he's a better defensive player than LaMarcus Aldridge, but certainly isn't with Nicholas Claxton because Nicholas Claxton, I don't necessarily see him as a total big because he, you know, he's probably more capable at guarding, you know, wings and even guards in, in that fashion. So I think Andre Drummond's rim protection and just his just sheer presence to play a little bit better in a drop. And I don't, you don't know, want to see him in a switch like, you know, Nicholas Claxton does, but I think that he is sort of, you know, the middle sort of ground for that. And, you know, he's also coming back to some of his former teammates in Blake Griffin, Bruce Brown as well. So it, 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 situational, like you sort of mentioned, the, the situation in terms of being around mates and being around former teammates, you know, that's going to have a, a pretty positive effect too. Yeah, I think him and Blake got along quite well. You mentioned he did have a reputation of, of being able to guard guys on the perimeter. And there was a famous sequence, obviously it didn't happen a lot, but there was a famous sequence where I think it was his either his rookie or his sophomore year, we were playing in Miami and he stripped Dwayne Wade twice in a row in two separate possessions. So he's got pretty good hands. He reads passing lanes quite well. I think defensively he gambles a little bit too much. And it, the biggest, excuse me, the biggest issue that Drummond has had, and it's kind of equalized out this year, has always been the motivation. And maybe part of that is the fact that he's gone from being a max contract guy back to being a, a minimum contract guy that now he's like okay I've got to earn my place in the league again because I think he was guilty of probably coasting that last year or so in Detroit and you know it was always going to end badly you know that team was terrible and not fun to watch at all um 
but I think, yeah, definitely, you know, now that he's got that bounce back, that swagger back, he knows his role. I think he's accepted his role. He's going to be a great pickup for the Nets. Can't wait to see him. You know, we should have seen him and Seth tonight, but, you know, sooner rather than later. I've, I've just, um, I've, I've said this to people who go for both the Pistons and the Cavs, you know, some friends of mine. I'm a little bit salty that Philadelphia didn't get the full Andre Drummond experience. They only got all the good parts. They didn't get any of the, you know, let, letting him take threes or posting up five times a game. You know, they, they got none of that. They just got good quality production at minimum price. I, I feel a little bit cheated. Yeah, look, I I think that, you know, I feel a little bit cheated about Jared Allen, Carol Savert as well, doing their things and dominating literally like the night that I think we, we had the trade. I think Jared Allen had like a 2020 game. Karis Avert, I think, like kicked the ass of a team and had like some game winners and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, the 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 emotional element of basketball can can hurt a little bit sometimes. <laughs> yeah. The Nets, though, and not to just bring a massive down on everything, but they're on an eleven game losing streak. Um, you know, obviously there's been injuries, and we're coming up to the All Star break, and maybe things start getting better, but what's your immediate expectation? And then I guess projecting for the rest of the season, because right now they're in the eighth spot, a couple of games out of um, avoiding the play-in. So a little bit of a slide uh, to, to put it mildly. Um, yeah. What's your expectations going forward now that I guess we know what this team looks like. Look, it's going to take some time to sort of figure out. I think Seth and, and Andre Drummond will, will acclimate fine because they're role players. What Ben Simmons is like when he does return, I don't know. I've made a prediction that I think he'll be back Hopefully, first game after the All-Star break. Hopefully, that's when Kevin Durant is back too because playing alongside Kevin Durant is the easiest thing in the world. I think that, and James Harden's probably going to miss that playing alongside Joel Embiid, who is a superstar and an MVP caliber player himself. But playing alongside Kevin Durant is like, you know, he's the ultimate superstar and can acclimate, you know, in so many different ways. So I, as long as the Nets get out of the play-in and, and finish, you know, anywhere six above, the teams are going to want to avoid them in the playoffs because of if Kyrie Irving either gets vaccinated, which I don't think is likely, but the, the mandates could get lifted, which Ryan Rucco went in on, on today because of the, the inconsistency of the rules for visiting players, how it's just basically if you are a home athlete, you know, entertainers can come and whatever, and they can be unvaccinated. I don't agree because, you know, you know, I think everyone should be vaccinated, but I do also agree with the fact that, you know, there is logic to, to all of this and, and some of it is a little bit illogical. So if then Kyrie Irving is playing, you know, the play, in the playoffs, Kevin Rand is healthy. We saw those two by themselves kick the ass of the eventual champions, make Giannis like fall down two or three times. And he is one of the best defensive players in the league right now, but they made him look silly. And that's what having quality talent, and healthy talent will do. The Nets have been so freaking unlucky when it comes to the amount of guys that have been injured and the extended absences and the nature of the injuries. Bruce Brown fell on Kevin Durant's knee because Herb Jones, you know, uh, gave him the old stiff arm. You know, Joe Harris's ankle has been, you know, had so many complications along the way that I can't even count how many times he's been supposed to be back. If the Nets are healthy and they finish sixth or above in the in the standings, they are going to be a championship contender. If they finish in the play-in, that's where things get a little bit, little bit dicey. But I honestly do think that they can go in a little bit of a winning streak. They have a really tough stretch heading into the All-Star break and post-All-Star break as well. But if Kevin Durant is healthy, Kevin Durant's proven that by himself, he can lead the team no matter who you got alongside it. Yeah, I just had a look to see if you played the Pistons soon because that's a bit of a get-right for people. Um, you know, Charlotte was on a massive losing streak and then they stomped them by 25. So, you know, 
get right. Uh, you don't. So that's a bit unfortunate. Um, yeah, it is a tough, you know, the, the Kings look competent now and I've, I've got thoughts on the Kings trade, but, you know, we've, I've spoken about that already at length in other episodes. And then, you know, the, the local rivalry with the Knicks and then the Wizards before the All-Star break. Um, what, I guess moving forward, projecting for the playoffs, assuming the Nets do break the top six, but in crunch time, you know, when the game's on the line, what is the best lineup for the Nets? Hypothetically, it obviously includes Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons. Who you put alongside that? Is it a no Harris? Is it a Seth Curry? Is it a Kessler Edwards, who's been quite competent lately? Is it a Cam Thomas? Are you going a bit more defense with Nick Claxton, who has had another horrible run with injury as well? He need, when he's healthy and firing, he looks like an all-defensive caliber player, but he can't get his body right. He's never been able to have that consistency there. Where, like Some of the best basketball that the Nets have played has been with Nick Claxton on the floor. Alongside Ben Simmons, maybe his skills are a little bit redundant, but I'd you know, having quality defense and another rim runner can't hurt. And, you know, he's improved uh, areas of his offensive game. I think you have an extra floor spacer. It's one of Seth or Patty and it's hopefully Joe, but I honestly think that they're, then maybe the Nets get someone in a buyout. They've been ruined with Goran Dragic. Maybe they get a Gary Harris. Maybe there's someone else out there. I don't, it's, it could be a LaMarcus Aldridge. I think it's going to be matchup dependent, which is a thing that apparently really, you know, irked um, James Harden as well. You know, we chatted to Jake Fisher on the Brooklyn Buzz and he was sort of saying, and he said in some of his reporting as well, that he's he's in, happy with the inconsistency of the lineups. As long as the, the superstars are there, you can put anyone around them and I think that they're going to be okay. It's going to just require a level of spacing and defense and finding that balance. Yeah, I think, you know, it's definitely not, pan- it's nowhere near panic stations. And I think a lot of this is still to shake out with the buyout. Um, I think, you know, with the rumors of Gary Harris, I think he'd be an interesting one just because of what he brings defensively. You don't really need his offense. It's always nice to have offense. Um, and I guess, you know, like you mentioned earlier in the in the show, the Nets at their best are score. Like we don't care if you score 120, we're going to score 130. So maybe that is how they approach the buyout. They just look for, for guys to ramp up the offense even more. I don't know. Look, I think Gary Harris was rumored by John Hollinger a couple of weeks ago. Those have died down. And it seems to me that Orlando is keen on, on keeping him around. But I, I've been big on Gary Harris because he's also got a three ball. And he's he plays three. He plays good D. It's as simple as that. And, you know, he's a, a guard, but he can guard competently one through three. And Gordon Dragic, you know, the room is there. That's another guy that sort of, you know, juices up the offense, juices up the ball handling. And I think would be a, a nice fit when you're taking away minutes from guys that can't do that on, on that side of the floor. And, also, if they were to require him, it means that the Bucks don't get him. It means that, you know, the Heat don't get him. I think it's fate complete that he probably does go to the Heat because of he was there at the game tonight alongside Tyler Johnson. He's basically been training with them, even though he's a Toronto Raptor, well, now a San Antonio Spur. I, I would be surprised if he's not with the Miami Heat. Um, but who knows? The, he could be lured by you know, championships and, and playing alongside Giannis, or he could be lured by a, a greater role in Brooklyn. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I didn't know he was pretty much on the heat without being on the heat that it doesn't surprise me, you know, one bit, you know, he's one of those heat lifers, you know, heat culture and all that nonsense. Um, before we let you go, I know you've had a big day, you know, putting your voice out in various platforms. What are those platforms? Where can we find you? Brooklyn buzz is on all streaming platforms, Apple podcasts, Spotify uh, at Jack Manuel on Twitter, J A C M A N U E double L doing some spaces here and there. I-, I need some more lozenges, mate. 
Um, I need to get and teaching as well combined. I use my voice a lot. I need to somehow take care of it a little bit more. But when it comes to talking basketball and when it comes to talking basketball with Australians, I'm in 100% no matter what the topic <laughs> All right. Well, we'll hopefully we'll get you on back towards the playoffs, maybe depending on how the Nets go and how Ben Simmons goes. But other than that, appreciate you coming on, mate. Have a good one.